Hello, and welcome to the Plugged In Podcast, where we talk with founders and CEOs in order to bring you the real stories of failures and triumphs, highs and lows they've experienced on their journey toward success. We will go in-depth with our guests to give you insights into how they have taken an idea from concept to realization, making those first key hires to building the right team, scaling revenues, how they overcame obstacles, and much more as we learn how they achieve success. This is the podcast that you want to subscribe to if you want to learn how to succeed. Hello, everyone. Um, this is Ellie Mandelbaum with uh, another Plugged In podcast. Uh, today we are interviewing Guy Gonzo. I've known Guy for, I don't even know, it must be at least 10 plus years, yes. if not longer. When I was uh, starting companies and looking to raise funds, I pretty much reached out to everyone. And from there, I think we, we met each other, we've spoken, and Guy is probably one of the more aggressive and impressive angel investors in Israel. Um, has a fantastic, you know, background and successes. I think he started in 1997 as an angel investor. Um, some of his uh, investments have included uh, Passive, Ford Sciences, Media Mind, Etoro, Fiverr, uh, Lifebeam, and many more. And with that, you know, Guy, why don't you just say hello, introduce yourself a bit, give a little bit of background, and we'll jump into the questions. Sure. Thank you very much, Ali. I'm really happy to be here with you. Um, as mentioned, I've been in this uh, industry as an angel investor since '97, when I made my uh, first investment. Since then, I've been pretty much involved in the industry as an investor. The initial stages was something that I did alongside my own business, which was in, uh, in an industrial business. And since then, uh, since I think it was 2005, I started committing all my time and attention towards uh, technology investments. Got it. And so, you know, just, you know, give people some background, right? So you did have a background in tech per se when you started off, right? You saw something, you saw the, the writing on the wall, and you said, this is where I want to be. Actually, when I started, I felt that I'm probably late to the game <laughs> in 97. I mean, at that time, there were already some Israeli companies that were already out there. As a, as a high school teenager, I already visited Cytex, <laughs> which was a very big uh, technology play, which was years before that. And then uh, Checkpoint was public already. There were huge companies in the States. Um, it was pre-bubble burst uh, mm-hmm. era, and uh, everything was thriving. And I really felt, it sounds ridiculous now, but it, it felt like this is late to the game. So I wasn't about, it wasn't about that. It's true that I didn't have any, I still don't have a technology background. Um, I, I should say that I really have a very strong uh, um, I'm, I'm being drawn to, to uh, things that has to do with product. So even in what I do, when I say industrial, it's like a general world, but, 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 but in, in essence, it had a, a lot of technology involved. Uh, it's more manufacturing technology rather than high technology or software. So it comes along with, with a lot of hardware, optics, but it still was related. The idea was really, I was drawn into it. I didn't plan to do investments. 
friends of mine that were in the industry of uh, doing uh, services to founders like lawyers or accountants approached me and told me, look, there are some younger people looking for, uh, for some help from somebody a little older and maybe help them with some cash. I had an operating business that actually most of my, uh, my uh, margins I invested back to the business, but I also decided to maybe start and venturing some of it to technology. So when you started out, right, did you have a certain amount that you gave to companies or it was per basis, right? Company did X amount of money they were looking for, I was able to do this. And second of all, did, you know, were you only drawn to companies as product or was it concept as well, like you were saying, your background and the product side, you, you know, it's. Um, I think that what the first investment. You don't. Re- it's not like I had a revised plan. I, I slept several nights on it and decided to become an investor. I met people, and one day I met somebody that uh, did something that I thought I understood because I had some background in printing mm-hmm. and technologies that related to that kind of area. And then he said that he was raising a certain amount. I could commit uh, to a very limited part of it, but I wanted to be committed to that. I thought it's a good opportunity. It actually resembled a lot. Yeah, you were saying, sir. It resembled a lot the Cytex uh, visit that I mentioned before. The idea was a technology that overcome the, the narrow pipes of the Internet at that time. And I thought I can play a part in it. Got it. I think that your first investment was a real-time uh, image. This is the yes, that's Got it. And, and what happened? Just you know, were you involved with them early on, or you just like was a passive angel investor? I was. I was pretty much involved. The main reason I was involved was twofold. First, other angel investors that joined didn't want to. They wanted to be passive. I actually wanted to know more and to learn more, and I was a sort of founder in the traditional industry myself, and I shared a lot of challenges with the founder, uh, with Zvika. So we, we used to sit a lot and exchange ideas. When I used to take on flights for my own business, I had some slack time to sit and learn the industry and read reports and stuff. So I educated myself and I wanted to become involved because that was my way of learning. When the company grew and had a board and had uh, like VCs and and so forth, I even had a wider ground of how to learn because there were new people on the board of directors that I could learn from. So I was drawn into it. Got it. Um, I'm going to even go back a little bit further. I mean, so when, you know, your, your first job was what? Once you finished the Army, if you went to university, what was the first job you took? The first job before that was in a gas station. So when <laughs> I, I bought my, my first surfboard after I worked for a gas station for like half a year <laughs> when I was 13 or 14. So that was literally my first for job. Sure. And after... Uh, I, I, uh, I was in the army for four years, then I went to work for a diamond factory, mm-hmm. which um, that was my way of actually learning something. It's, it's a worker. It's a very, very basic uh, uh, work that you need to, and skill that you need to, to learn and adopt, and very physical, by the way. And then 
I went to study and when I got back I worked for a while in a real estate development it was a company friends of my father mm-hmm. and after a year or so I um, I decided I'm going to go back to where I where I was just after the army and I started back learning a little more aspects of this industry and ended up opening my own factory and so forth. Right, so you always had that uh, entrepreneurial bugs that you always wanted to just, you know, build, create, you know, do something on your own as opposed to... Yes, I think that uh, even during the periods where I worked uh, for others, I used to think... Uh, like it was my own thing. <laughs> Sometimes it, it, it wasn't, even in the army, actually. Uh, I, I got in myself into a lot of trouble because of that. Uh, because uh, it, it came from a positive place, but it was not always what people expected you to do. Yeah. But I think, yes, to, 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 to be to your question, yes, I, I had this thing to do stuff uh, the way I thought should be done. Got it. So this is another question I like to ask is, you know, when you first uh, came up on failure, like really hit you, not like, you know, 10, I mean, but how did you overcome it? Like your, whether it's in your job, whether it was just um, surfing even, but what, like, how did you overcome failure and does it, and did you take that and, you know, use it for later in your life um, when you hit those walls? Yeah, well, I hit many walls, as uh, one can imagine. It doesn't matter whether it's, uh, like you mentioned, in in, uh, in the sea as a kid, uh, whether uh, it's in the army, uh, or whether it's uh, later on in different stages doing things and just finding myself trying to uh, move a wall or, or, or uh, fighting uh, uh, windmills. So it happened. The, I think... One of the things, first and foremost, is uh, that I learned was capitulation, which means that, for example, in the sea, this is very strong because when you have a very large force actually taking over you, um, you tend to fight because that's like your uh, reaction. What you learn by the hard way is that actually when you give yourself you, you sort you sort of give up to the situation you let go you you actually uh, center yourself in many ways mentally you realize the situation you move along with the, 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 what happens but then you come up this is the right approach to overcome those kind of uh, of events and you have to realize that that's part of the journey so if you go to this journey and you don't anticipate it and you are not convinced that these kind of highs and, and lows are going to happen, then you are not coming prepared. Interesting. Oh, that's, that's actually good advice. <laughs> so I have not heard that yet. So, okay, so we're, we're moving on now. Um, when you look at companies or you look at investments, I know you have a site now that people could go on to, I think, guygamzu.com. What do you look for? Do you look for a team in investment? Do you look for idea? Do you look for both? Are you looking for the overall market size? What do you look for, you know, when investing? The, the, the real truth is that I don't really look for anything. I do it because this is something that I love doing. I love talking to uh, people that have 
those ideas. I can relate to, to, to people that have uh, certain ideas and want to actually turn the, those ideas into uh, reality and affect things and build things. So this is probably the main driver. The main driver is my own curiosity, my, uh, my drive to know more people and to listen to their stories. And obviously I get a lot of satisfaction if it's, if it's sometimes, in, there are some rare cases where I think I can be a little helpful. That gives me also a lot of, uh, lot of satisfaction. How many companies do you come across on a given you know, month or year? It, the average are above 420 companies every year. Okay. And are they primarily in Israel or people reach out to you all over? 85% Israelis, 15% uh, non-Israelis. And how many do you fund in a given year? It, it, it can be anything between uh, one in two years or one in three years to three in one year. It, it really... The, 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 there's no statistics around it. And anyway, in the... In the 20 years or more that I've been an investor, I made a total of 30-something investments altogether. Okay, so once we're on that topic, so you made 30-something investments. We're going to start with the question of how many of them have, you know, when, let me backtrack. When you, you know, have you made a bad investment and what happens when you make that investment? Like, do you get involved? Do you try and you know, get, you know, management-wise, you speak to them and try and get them to pivot? Do you uh, just cut bait and say, you know what, I tried my best, it's just a loss, I can write it off? And what do you do when you make, and, and this is a question not only in, in investing, but in decision-wise, when you know, you know, when you realize you think you made something good and it just didn't work out, for whatever reason, you know, what what do you do as, as an investor? And, and not, not even as a VC, as an angel investor, because you're a little bit more invested on, on the early early grant you know the early part of the, the company look the, the the main the main when you go on a journey of uh, of entrepreneurship doesn't matter whether it's technology or any other uh, type type of, uh, of venture you are actually um, getting into a survival game so the name of the game is survival so as long as the company survive, which means it, have, it has an, enough resources to continue, then it continues. Now, within that, a good investment or a bad investment is very hard to judge. There are companies that are extremely... Clearly, what happens is that when you invest uh, in technology you have to know that most, the vast majority of your investment decisions will turn uh, unfruitful because that's the, the statistics. Um, in terms of, uh, so, so the model is, the, is very much the model of the home run uh, theory where you have one very big meaningful uh, investment that compensates over all the rest of them and hopefully more. That's the thesis, and that's usually the way it works. On a micro level, it's it's never the game because you may start off with a thesis of a company and things go really well, 
that's very rare, by the, by the way. And you have a, most of the cases where things look gloomy, some of which turned out to be right, some of which turned. So pivots happened and pivots may work and they may not. But you continue to try and making an attempt unless you have something which is like a personal event. So usually it's not because of the type of business you're in or the resources. This is very binary. Either it works or not. Either you do have resources or not. Usually you may want to abort a certain journey when there is a problem between the people who run the show. So if you don't have people to run the show, there's no show, obviously, and it's never me who takes responsibility. The, the ones that are, even if I'm very much involved and I try to help and everything, still, the ones that really take charge and they are the train of this, uh, of this journey are the founders. So if they are not game, then, then it's game over. So, so do you, what, have you ever clashed with a founder? Have you ever you know, said to a founder, you know what, I don't think you're going the right way or the founder has issues with you for whatever, you know, have you had that? And if you have had that, you know, what do you do as an investor? I'm trying to think of, uh, of examples where I had clashes and I can't recall any specific case when I, when I did. What I do usually, I may have different opinion and a different opinion would mean that we are at a certain junction I believe that we, it, it doesn't make sense to actually inject additional resources to this venture because we tried out a lot of things and I think that everybody should be, would be better off starting their new thing. Um, if, I, if I'm in disagreement with the founders, what I will do, and it happened, um, I think, three or four times in the past, I actually gave, I sold my share to the founders for $1 and let them actually continue their own venture without interrupting it or being on like a hurdle on their cap table. How did that work out? Um, did, did, they, did they end up? No, some of them continued for some time. Uh, some uh, continued for a shorter time. But it's, it's usually difficult. I mean, the, the, the level of energy that you have and the, 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 the ability... I, I mean, I think most of those people were successful actually when they rebooted completely. They cleaned up everything. It's not only about one investor or the other or that conviction or the other. It's, it's a whole uh, karma that you have around a certain thing and sometimes when you reboot, you come fresh to this venture. Do you have an example a company either that you've invested in or that you know that you think did that the right way, right? They pivoted it and they pivoted well. They rebooted in a sense. Which you are correct. I mean, I definitely see that a lot, you know, and it's a question that, you know, all founders, was, you're always going to hit a wall, right? You either hit a wall on the you know revenue side and you say, okay, we hit it, but it, it's not growing fast enough. So what do we have to do? Have you, you know, have you seen that in a company? I've seen that uh, without mentioning specific names, but I don't think that that is what really matters. What really matters is the fact that I think that IP, uh, in, in, the, in the sense of being something semi-tangible, is overrated. What I mean to say is that the real thing that happens 
is in the mind of the people who run the business. So there were a lot of cases where people started working, did something, it didn't work. They decided to pivot again and again. They decided to maybe they managed to raise more funding. But at the end of the day, they were successful because at some point in life, they actually were the ones that, actually, that had all the knowledge, all the experience, and they were managing to add this to their learning curve rather than just uh, you know, starting everything afresh without any knowledge. So I think that in many ways, even the, the, the ventures that you start and don't come off as a very big success in terms of financially at least, they may have other successes. And other successes can be in how you treat people, how you communicate stuff, what you learn and how you self-developed, and everything accumulates to your next thing. So it's a, it's, the whole thing is a journey. And this is just like one path of a journey. That's the way one should perceive every venture. Interesting. So moving on to the successful aspect to it, right? And you've, I mean, you've had a number of exits. How many exits do you have you done? You, you think I, I don't know. I don't. I don't measure this. I measure actually the return on investment. Okay. And in that sense, I was lucky enough to be able to continue to do what I love, which is <laughs> becoming an investor in other companies. Um, so, if I need to really be a, a sort of VC of myself with the LP being my family, uh, I, I would say that I was very, very fortunate uh, in having a, a, an average return on investment, which is really outstanding. Um, but I must say that having, having said that, I must say that I, sh- I attribute a lot of it to sheer luck rather than anything articulated especially given the fact that, again, like I mentioned before, it's not my, it's not, it's not like my, my success in the sense that I don't really do anything on the ground. Mm-hmm. I may contribute to people that are doing the job, but it's not me. It's the founders that are actually leading the company. And I, other than one success that was where we actually took... Um, an external CEO to a company. All others were the real founders of the company that took it all the way to be a successful business. Uh, and that can be uh, just being profitable, which is a, which, which maybe sound uh, like, a, like a bad word, but that happened as well, uh, including companies that went public, including companies that sold uh, to, to an acquirer and so forth. And so, do you, you know, do you, as an angel investor, you know, you're, you're not you're not just a friend to the, to the founders, right? You, you're getting to the founders at an early stage. Do you view, do they view you as a mentor, or do you view yourself as a mentor, or you just said, you know, hey, I'm an investor, you know, I, I'm here when you need me, or you get a little bit more hands-on, like you're trying to, you know, cultivate based on your knowledge, trying to help them. Make, you know, avoid the mistakes that you've made or that you've seen in the past, I should say. I think that I'm, um, I'm trying to make myself available uh, to the people that I partner with. I think that um, those are people that are very sharp, 
much cl- more clever than I am, in many disciplines more experienced than I am, and they really know what is something that maybe they can use me for or what and what not. So I rather not force myself on anything, just making myself available. Having said that, I do have an opinion and I share my opinion. And I'm, I know that, not, that my opinion will not always be the most uh, pop, popular one, and I accept it. And again, because of what I said before, because, because eventually I'm not the one who takes ownership over the success or the failure of things and decisions, I don't have, I, I, other than just giving a, my two cents, I don't, I, I don't aspire to do anything more than that. So I don't even take it as something which should happen. If I have a certain opinion and people accept it too many times, I would probably be worried that something is wrong here. <laughs> Because, the, again, the people that are running the show, they know much more than I do. And they usually step ahead of me. I can just give another perspective to consider. And in some cases, this perspective can actually add value. But in most cases, actually, people already know they come prepared. Is there, is there a case where you've, you know, a fan has come to you with, you know, a really, like, you know, trying to think of like a really big issue or a question that you've, you found the most interesting at all. Again, you've come across a lot of companies you've invested in. Um, you know, that, that's one question. And I don't know if you have an answer for it, which is somewhat of a vague. The other question is, do you see from all the companies you've invested in certain traits in the CEOs or the founders that you like a commonality among them or it's, you know, Pick of the letter, you know, it's all different. No, I think all of the, all, the the founders that I teamed up with so far were very different, actually, from one another. The communality is the drive, the integrity, um, the the diligence towards people they work with, and their um, commitment. To actually make it happen, it's always uh, been surprising in many ways. I'm a founder myself, and I, I, I obviously very persistent on doing things. But still, sometimes you see the things that people are going through, and it's pretty amazing. So I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm taking inspiration from from that and I think that's something that that is probably a communality between people but in terms of their actual character perceptions methodologies uh, family life behavior it's it's very diverse so I guess just going back to a a couple questions ago is there one investment that stands stands out in your head that was like you know that was my best investment like that was just like you know that was again the two parts one is uh, emotional the second part is financial right? your ROI which is really what we're all about I mean at the end of the day you're invested because you want to get a return on your investment um, but emotionally is one and the second is you know you're and there's still what I think Fiverr is is I mean they're skyrocketing I mean you know, there's another investment I think you did but is there one that stands out uh, no 
there isn't one. But I should say that, first of all, financially, I still have a portfolio now. Uh, and I think that the, the biggest financial uh, upsides are actually there, if I have to guess. And it's not because the previous uh, investments weren't good. They were, some of them were amazingly good. But the world is also changing. So Israel in general and entrepreneurship used to be um, uh, of certain uh, uh, expectations and there was a sort of virtual uh, glass ceiling where people at a certain valuation thought that it just doesn't make any sense to hold. And on the other hand, this has changed. So you see a lot of amazing companies here in Israel started off with things that are unimaginable. We are Israel, so the consumers are not here, but mm-hmm. you still see direct-to-consumer companies that started in Israel. Fiverr is one of them, but you can have a public company like Wix yes. serving the entire world, having a valuation of $5 billion, started in a garage, and, and very, very few people are, of their customer base are Israelis. They have to deal with distribution and marketing to all countries in the world. And it's probably the, the exception is the, the, the own, your own geography. Yeah. And it's not like we are not like a huge state, as you, as you know. So I think that's amazing. And that's why I think that also the existing portfolio that I have beholds the greatest economical upside. In terms of success, again, I, maybe I'm too... Uh, um, naive on that or I don't know not, not enough uh, capitalist but, but um, for me the part of the experience is with the people and even in many cases where things didn't work out I, I feel it, it was a huge success in terms of what we did together as a group of people that tried to do things and the way we, do, we did it and also, the way, you have to, to also know how to fail uh, graciously. This is, it's like in sports, you know. You have to know also how to be the loser, and it happens. It's not easy thing to do. It's not easy at all, because people are sometimes pissed at you, and uh, you, uh, you carry on bags, and, and, and socially people look at you in a certain way. But I, I feel that, um, I, again, I, on that end, I was really fortunate to be, in most cases, with people that were exceptionally good sports and actually made me feel that I wanted to do things with them again, which I did. Oh, so, so that's good to segue my next question. I was going to say, you know, in my mind when you were saying that is, how many people, have, you know, families have come back to you and say, you know, guy, we would love to get you back involved. You know, can you make an angel investment? It happened. Yes, it happened more than once. And also, by the way, even on the on the big on the what 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 I call the the, the lead generation part, the you know, the, the guy comes the dot com thing. A lot of people that, that I said no to actually come back, either for funding or for advice. And um, and this is great. I think that that's the way it should be. I think that uh, any person involved in the industry should make themselves available and accessible and be responsive to others because humanity didn't get to where it is by one person doing something 
exceptionally great. It's always been the collaboration of people with other people. And the people don't come in clusters, don't come in certain color or shape or geography or mini-geography. They have to collaborate with people that come from different disciplines, different mutations, and contribute to one another their knowledge and their perspectives. Got it. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, so I'm going to dive in a little bit more. We have another 10 minutes or so, so I'll dive in a little bit more into, you know, from making that investment and then seeing them grow, right? Talking about, you know, have, you know, some of the companies, again, Fiverr is one of them, I, think, I mean, they're huge now. Um, you know, some of the other investors that you've seen, what are some of the growth problems that you've seen from, as an investor side, companies growing? I mean, even that second raise, right? That either that seed, which is not the angel or the series A round. And what are some of the issues that you've seen some of your companies gone through? Um, if they had issues, uh, and sometimes how do, how do they overcome that issue as well? Whether, you know, two parts. One is, you know, getting that second raise, right? Again, you have to build your deck, and a lot of it's networking. Some, some companies, on the rare occasion, don't have any problems, right? They just say, we're hitting our numbers, we need, we need you know, we need another investment to get to X, you know, you do, the original investors want to come on board. Um, and the other aspect, there's also growth, right? Because in order for any company to really succeed, you need to build a team. Uh, well, I, I probably, like many of the listeners, I only hear about those cases when it's a walk in the park. <laughs> I never experienced it. Okay. So everything in the best companies I've been involved with was and is and will be a challenge. And you tend to think, yeah, if it's a very successful company, they will just walk into the VCs and they will get the check. It's completely not my reality. It's been a struggle to raise finance every round. It's a lot of attention. It's a lot of noise to the system. It's a lot of rejection. It's a lot of questions and overhead that you are not actually prepared or can do without sacrificing some of the operational effort that you make. The other issues are HR. You tend to think, well, if I grow, that will be heaven. But once you start growing, you realize that all the, or many of the very good and talented people, especially in Israel, they think they should be founders themselves. And again, from the height of my age, I can say this is a mistake, especially today. So maybe in the old days when you, were, you had an entrepreneurial spirit, that was great because there was not a lot to learn. You had to build and invent stuff from ground. But today it's not the case. If you really want to build a huge company, you're going you're gonna to save yourself a lot if you're going to work for a very successful company and learn how it works there. So your, your knowledge of what to do and also what not to do is essential when you grow. But here in Israel, we do have a challenge. So too many people want to start off. They don't have the patience to go work for someone. They don't want to take orders from nobody. And although it's pretty flat and you can have amazing autonomy today, I think some of the people who work for Fiverr or work for Wix or work for other companies in Israel, I, so, there are so many now, uh, they have more responsibility and ownership as employees than any founder I met would have. 
So I think that the HR is another huge challenge. Then you have also technological challenges. Again, it sounds, uh, well, we are the, we, are, we know everything about technology, which is obviously not true, but maybe we do have an edge. But still, when you have to change something that is already in the working, it's a huge task. Uh, I know that uh, without, without disclosing uh, information from companies that are involved in, but even Twitter had to rewrite their, their entire code when they had, I don't know, tens of millions of users. This is a very challenging thing to actually execute on. So also on the technology front, you have huge challenges. Then you also have the challenges of the marketing, like I mentioned before. It comes like natural that we sit here in Israel and there are very successful companies because we are good in technology. But technology is meaningless without sales and marketing. If you are not really good at it, at least as, as you are good and talented on the product, you're going to have something great that will sit on the shelf. Nobody will hear about it. Yeah, well, I mean, Wix and, Wix and Fiverr are definitely success stories more than others. I mean, those two have, well, I mean, again, Israel's not their market. They were created here, but they, they really learned how to market themselves to the world, where other companies, you know, have had more challenges. Well, you don't, look, you have, you have the gaming companies, like Platica, yeah. and you have co- companies that are also consumer. You know, it's, it's the same challenge. You have a product, you have to market it to all the world, and you have to continue and innovate and create more and more content and more creative and more events and so forth. So in every discipline that you look at, and the iron source at least, all about distribution themselves, which built a huge business. So you, and I'm not talking about the more technical ones, the cyber and the AI companies. The different, I think that you have different disciplines, but anywhere you go, marketing is going to be a very big challenge. It doesn't matter whether it's to the mass market or whether you are addressing a certain enterprise play. You, to hire people that will be able to knock on the door of a big uh, American enterprise you have to know culturally who are you hiring. And for an Israeli to go to the States and to start interviewing people, Americans, that with, with different culture, with different network, it's very, very difficult. Yes, you may, and, and it doesn't matter. I'm trying to be helpful there and interview myself. And still, we often make a lot of mistakes of cultural fit, of expectations, of how we read the map how we read the references that we got from other people. So I think that all of those things are huge challenges, but that's the beauty of it. I mean, every time you go through that one thing or the other, and we didn't mention anything that has to do with what I call the GNA, the, the more technical stuff, the legal stuff, and the financial aspects. But all of those things are disciplines that you learn along uh, the course of building your business. Oh, correct. I, I, I couldn't agree more on that. I mean, <laughs> those are definitely, you know, being here, making Aliyah four years ago, you definitely see some of the cultural issues. I mean, I work with a lot of the companies too, and there's a lot of that there. I mean, it's definitely a, a challenge, um, you know, especially coming from here. But again, there's a lot of Anglos now that are living here. Hopefully they're able to tap into this, into the resource of that talent pool. Um, you know, you know, to that, you know, we're almost finished. So there's, Two things 
And it's like a question I like to ask usually at the end is, you know, again, nothing really related with what you're doing, but when you were, you know, 15, 16, after your surfing stage, let's say, did you know what you wanted to be? Or did you have any idea? Like, no. No, no idea. To wherever life would take you, just let it... Uh, yeah, I didn't. I was focused on uh, on immediate things. <laughs> <laughs> this is what you can see in front of you. Yeah. I didn't have any major plans. I did what I like to do. I think, in general, if I have to give advice to people, is to try to actually go to where they feel they they want to go, not they what they feel they should do in order to please others. And then we'll end on this. And this is a broader question, right? So you started '97 investing, and we're you know 2018, 2019 is right around the corner. How has it changed? You know, from the time you started. I mean, you know, Israel blossomed tremendously over those years. But, you know, for you as investing from, you know, starting point to now, you know, how do you think it's evolved personally, you know, for, for you? I think that um, personally, I feel that I, um, I developed a lot uh, as a person and as somebody who... who uh, is knowledgeable of things, and I always say, if you don't, if you look back a year, a year back, and you don't feel that you were a little stupid on several things, it means that you don't progress. So I do feel I'm some, somewhat shameful even on, on certain perceptions and ideas, and I think it also happens in the industry in general. I think the industry is more mature. People um, are actually. Researching deeper, building things more uh, responsibly, and at the same time, we also see more potential for growth coming from Israel, from technology companies that started and realized that's not only the only thing that they are going to be challenged with, and do things pretty early on in order to um, be able to uh, increase their chances for success. All right. So, uh, one other question is. Do you have a habit that you feel, you know, you do and keeps you organized? Or is there something that in your daily life that, you know, it helps you, your success or not really? Well, I think that I, first of all, um, I use the email spike. So the, the, although it's like technical thing, it helped me a lot. I've been using it still since Air uh, started uh, this. It was a project initially, like four or five years ago. So I've been a very early user of this uh, thing, and it changed completely my ability to be responsive and actually manage the the, the time and the tasks that are ahead. In general, I do a lot of sports, so that helps me a lot. Just um, you know to. Uh, to uh, release some steam, to be focused. It's a sort of meditation for me to run or to cycle or to swim. Mm -hmm. And I do all of, all of those things. And in general, I'm trying to uh, not do stuff just because people do it, you know. So I don't, you won't find me in too many conventions or gatherings unless there is a very specific purpose and I think that that's something that will add value to myself and to others. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. 
um, and I look forward to seeing a lot more successes and investments. Thank you very much. Love this episode of the Plugged In Podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.